Warning. The following podcast may contain strong language, unusual humor, emotional content, and a good cup of tea. Basically, all the good stuff. Listener's discretion is advised. You know, everybody started off talking and then really quickly everybody's kind of yelling and getting up and walking around and pounding on the table. Oh, you're so beautiful, mashallah. Where are you from? Are you from Africa? Hi, welcome to this week's episode. I'm Myra Anubi, and today we travel to one of the most historical and mystical parts of the world, Egypt. I'm sitting at the kitchen table. I'm drinking a beautiful hot cup of tea. The strange noises in the background is my partner, Martin. He's working from home. <laughs> and he doesn't know how to talk low. It's very sunny and beautiful outside, you know, the beginning of spring. But I can't dare go outside because I just checked the temperatures like negative one still. I have two favorite seasons, spring and fall. Uh, Fall is because of all the colors. It's because for me, it's more like it's a warning. It's going to be so dark. It's going to be so horrible. So enjoy this while it lasts. I always enjoy uh, fall, autumn more than summer. Summer is just meh, especially if you're from, like, Kenya. (laughs) It's just any other typical day. Vanessa is one of my oldest friends. She's as honest as the day is long and is a strong, independent woman with a bucket full of memories that she's happy to share with us today. Uh, I met Myra. We were in high school, or maybe we had just... I think we had just joined high school and we had this um, little club in church called Club at 12. And that's when I met Myra. Yeah, we lived quite close to each other in Nairobi terms. And uh, Nairobi West, you know, there's so much chaos. We lived next to uh, um, <laughs> back in the day when everything was on DVD. So music, movies, series everything so there was this guy who ran a shack and he pirated everything and he would play reggae like no one can stop reggae morning till morning <laughs> it was loud lovely you know there's a mamamboga right next Outside your gate, everything is so accessible. There's an Uchumi supermarket like 200 meters from your gate. I I really love Nairobi West. Unfortunately, our long friendship is probably the least interesting thing that Vanessa and I have to share today. Vanessa has lived and worked in Kenya, Egypt, Dubai, and also spent some time with the United Nations World Food Program in Gambia. 
With a master's in medical science and global health, she's currently one of the coordinators at the Swedish Network for International Health. I'm currently living in Sweden in a little, okay, it's not little, in a town called Hamstad. And it's basically a port or recreational city, perfect for tourism and those people who like the beach or golf vacations and it's you know sprinkled with a dash of culture and all that stuff and this beautiful city has a beautiful river that runs across it called river nissan like the motor company (laughs) and along this river guess what there's a pablo picasso sculpture called the female head that's basically the first sculpture of Picasso I've seen. The female head is a representation of Jacqueline, Picasso's wife. It's the world's largest Picasso sculpture, going about 15 meters high, and it's been crafted by concrete. It is a... Wait. Let's go back to Egypt. The first time I was ever on a plane like on an international flight was 2014. So I went to Moy University and um, Faculty of Health Sciences, they had this program called elective program where, excuse me, students uh, would be selected to, you know, pursue an elective program in whatever they are passionate about. It's just, you know, like an attachment. But then... It's abroad. So depending with your grades, <laughs> some would go to, to the U.S. They would go to like um, uh, Providence Teaching Hospital. Uh, some would go to Johns Hopkins. Some would go to Sweden, like Lee Chopin. And some would go to, you know, a region like the African continent they would go to South Africa or Egypt or anywhere you want to go I was selected for Alexandria so I got the opportunity to go to Egypt I basically expected a desert like middle of nowhere desert clueless because in my head I was a little bit naive, so, you know, like people who generalize Africa and they would just be like, oh, I'm going to Africa, but they don't specify where exactly. So for me, I had this sort of ignorance that uh, civilization lied in Cairo. So Alexandria is, you know, far rich and, you know, Maybe it has beautiful beaches and all that stuff, but then it's probably in the middle of nowhere. Egypt is a transcontinental country and is considered to be the cradle of civilization with outstanding early developments in agriculture, writing, governments and urbanization. It has a rich culture and a large population with more than 100 million people. Its heartland, the River Nile, is home of one of the earliest principles of civilization. 
It is one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world, drawing millions of people to their enchanting beaches and breathtaking pyramids every year. So I approached Egypt with so much caution. And um, I remember I had a conversation with my grandma, bless her her heart. And she basically scared the shit out of me. She was like, oh, you can't trust Egyptian people. You can't trust Egyptian men. They will lure you with nice things and then you will find yourself dead in the desert. <laughs> and I'm, you know, oh, like a 20 year <laughs> And I'm a 20-year-old girl who's never traveled, you know, outside Kenya. And so there was so much fear and apprehension But at the same time, there was some sort of comfort because I had my friends. I had two of my best friends who were on the same program. And, you know, everything organized by an institution or, you know, a school, it's always like everyone are set up in the same accommodation and all that stuff. But everything I did... I could just hear my grandma saying, don't listen, <laughs> don't pay attention. <laughs> they will lure you with nice things <laughs> and you will find yourself dead in the desert. Your grandmother has quite the imagination. Speaking about deserts, Egyptian deserts cover more than 90% of the country's land surface. Their culture, food and lifestyle are heavily influenced by their religion and history It can be quite intimidating, especially for someone who had never left home before. Oh, Western. Western is so beautiful. It's so green and lush. And I grew up in a town called Bungoma. And basically everyone everyone knew everyone. Okay, this is an exaggeration. But uh, it would be very hard or almost impossible for you to run an errand in in town without meeting at least three people who know you or know your guardian or parent or grandparent. And, you know, you end up striking a conversation. Small talk in Western can go for 30 minutes, guys. It's, It's that form of wealth that's not tangible, but at the same time, you, you, you encounter extreme poverty and all that stuff. But every time I think about Western, it's just, you know, things are done at, at its own pace. There is no hurry in the world. There's no rush. If you're not sick, if you're not dying, take it easy, take it slow. Everything is beautiful and lush. When it rains, it pours. <laughs> Do you remember the day you landed in Egypt? I arrived at one in the morning and I'm anxious because I got a number for, for a taxi guy from a friend who had already arrived. So I couldn't text this person because they didn't have WhatsApp. And so I had to text my friend and tell them to tell the taxi guy to wait for me so it's more like you are it's one in the morning you are a woman in a strange 
in a new place that you've never been before and it's dark and you're afraid that the only person who you might trust will not show up and you just don't want to deal with the drama of being in a cab alone early in the morning not sure not knowing where you're going but then the air was uh very humid like i i i noticed it smelled very different it was very humid and it had like knots of tobacco <laughs> which is so strange knots of tobacco and salty i'm assuming because it's it's a port city uh, right next to the mediterranean sea and yeah it was pretty warm i didn't need a cardigan and i as soon as you know i got cleared by migrations and i'm walking outside hoping for the best and then i see a weird middle aged man <laughs> with my name on a piece of paper <laughs> i've honestly always wanted someone to hold up a card and pick me up at the airport with my name dressed in a suit i came close on one occasion on a work trip with my boss but um unfortunately they had his name on um that white card as opposed to mine <laughs> i know i know one day <laughs> one day yeah I'll come I'll see you. Please you do that. Suit. <laughs> <laughs> he was so polite. He carried my luggage, put it in the car, and 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 drove me to the door of the hostels where we were staying. And he did not leave until someone came to pick me up. I I thought that was really really kind. Things like chivalry and just basic manners are very common here. driving aside everybody seems to forget their manners when they're driving but really in personal interactions i find people to be very polite very kind um people open doors for me all the time give up seats let's take a short break now but after this i'm interested to find out how vanessa a feminist navigated living in egypt a place where religion defines different rules for men and women if you're planning to visit you'll want to hear this Ave Blooms is a London-based home for lovers of life's little luxuries. We provide beautiful bouquet designs bearing African names with meanings in celebration of our founder and her friends and family's heritage. We also provide intentional, highly curated gift options. Find us at aveblooms.com today. Hi, my name is Myra Nubi and welcome to Almost Diaspora. Here I look at the lives of people who are or have lived in the diaspora, the good, the weird, the ugly. I'm a Kenyan living in the UK and I'm excited to take you all around the world and explore some crazy truths about living in another country. Catch me every Friday with a new episode and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at @almostdiaspora. Go ahead and send us an email with your questions or suggestions on the email almostdiaspora@gmail.com. Hey. 
Now, when in Egypt, you must do what the Egyptians do. But Egypt can be a very interesting place to live in. I mean, over the years, Egyptians have had a particularly hard or difficult time coming to grips with their African identity. Many do not consider themselves to be African, and some even take offense in being identified with Africa at all. When speaking to Egyptians who have traveled to countries below the Sahara, they nearly always talk about going down to Africa, as if Egypt is separate from the continent. But this aside, I was interested to find out from Vanessa what other practices she might have come across in her stay there that she found quite amusing. We would have all these weird proposals, like marriage proposals, when you're walking on the street, and it's just it's so weird. Like the someone, a guy walks up to you and they ask you, "Oh, you're so beautiful, mashallah. Where are you from? Are you from Africa? Because Egyptians believe they're not Africans; they're in Middle East." And I remember the first times it used to annoy me, and I would be like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm still in Africa, and I'm African. I'm from Africa." And then they would ask, uh, "Where, which part of Africa are you from?" And then, uh, you know, like I would just generalize it and say East Africa, and then they would ask you, "Where is that?" <laughs> and like that's like a, a a random person on the street. But then now it got to a point I just began to play along you know I would play along and then I would ask her how many camels do you think I'm worth and then you know just to keep the conversation going and then minding my own business afterwards because sometimes if you are rude <laughs> you just get rudeness back and what about the food Vanessa is there like a new or different food that you got to taste and what was your take on that I got to eat buffalo meat, like they rare buffalo. So instead of, I don't know, it's because they survive better in, in such climates than cows. I am not sure, but so if it was a day when, when, when meat, red meat that's not chicken was on the menu, we would eat <laughs> buffalo meat. That was just so strange. There's nothing special about that meat, to be honest. It's like bad, bad cow. <laughs> huh? Okay, it's not like I've, I've, I've generally never been a fan of red meat anyway, but there was nothing special about it. It, it was very uh, tough. Or maybe it's how it was prepared. I don't know. It was uh, tough. And in my opinion, bland with a very strong uh, smell. Now, food aside, something else that can be quite different is, of course, the language. Arabic remains one of the richest languages in the world in terms of vocabulary. It has influenced a great number of other languages, including Kiswahili, which is mostly spoken in Kenya and other parts of Lower Africa. There are around 280 million Arabic native speakers in the world. Some people have claimed that second to Mandarin, Arabic is probably one of the most challenging languages to learn. So Vanessa, how did you navigate um, being in a country with a different language? 
Arabic is very special. It's really, really special. But if you understand Kiswahili, you can get yourself uh, to to the market. You can get your bargains right with no English involved. So I think we had an advantage for being able to speak and understand Kiswahili because very many Swahili words were borrowed from Arabic. I think most Egyptians are used to living life at a higher volume than we do. Um, I grew up in New England and I mean, it's not like everybody was super soft-spoken in my family, but the typical Egyptian family is quite boisterous. If you picture the Sicilians and the Greeks, so my Arabic wasn't very good. And when I started going to Temer's family's house for meals and gatherings and things, I noticed that any gathering, you know, everybody started off talking and then really quickly everybody's kind of yelling and getting up and walking around and pounding on the table and thinking everybody's fighting. And they weren't. It was just everybody was pretty enthusiastic to get their point across. Um, and, uh, you know, pretty soon I learned to yell too, and that solved that. When you're in a foreign place, you knowing your numbers is very important so that you, you don't get ripped off. I can count from one to ten and I can count uh, tens, you know, like one is Wahed, two is Adnan, three is Talat, four is Arba, five is Hams, six is Sita, seven is Saba, <laughs> and so on, and then twenty is Eshrin, you know, it sounds familiar. It does, and, it sounds like sweet. Uh, expensive is Gali. Yeah. Speaking about expensive, how expensive or how affordable was the lifestyle? We found it pretty cheap. We spent most of the time shopping. You, you won't believe this. We spent most of our weekends just shopping and buying uh, pieces that, you know, these really tiny, cute pieces that would be really costly in in in. in Nairobi and Kenya in general. Food was very cheap. Fr grapes, I was eating grapes all the time because they basically cost nothing. <laughs> Without diving so much into tradition, how was it for you as a woman? Women have different separate cabins from men and the female or women and children was always the last cabin. Oh, yeah, wow. that, that was just driving me crazy. You can't walk on a street if you're a woman on a street that has men sitting like along along the street. So, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, Lamu style kind of streets, narrow. And uh, so if, if there are men hanging out either smoking shisha or just chilling or having lunch or a conversation you as a woman you cannot walk past that street so you have to find another street to walk on that also drove me mad you know and and uh because i hadn't known this i learned this the hard way i you know, they just started yelling at me in Arabic and, and 
So when I went back to my hostel and talked to my friends about what I had experienced, and they were like, "Oh, snap! We forgot to tell you. You you can't do that." Um, a woman here is basically uh, second class, so you take you don't take the fast two, you know, cars on the tram. You don't walk on a street if you don't see women as well. If it's if it's like a a street with restaurants and stuff, you have to see women there as well for you to walk by. And you know you you can't shake hands. And some situation you can't even maintain eye contact. And it was heavy and exhausting to learn. Yeah. And uh, like as a nurse as well, if you're a female nurse, you can't handle, you have to ask if uh, someone needs you to handle them, if they are of a different uh, sex. So uh, there's a lot of permission you have to ask before helping someone, which was really strange and against uh, my Hippocratic oath. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just this uh, women, you know, eating on the floor while men sit at the table. It it was really strange for me, and <laughs> and I'm just happy that where we lived, we were a bunch of students, so we didn't really give a crap about all that. But when you're outside, you do what everyone else is doing. Oh, and you can't wear a bikini on the beach. Mm. You just can't. <laughs> so I never really had fun on those beautiful, beautiful beaches. Had you carried your bikini? Of course. Of course. And they had, obviously, they had um, like uh, private beaches where... Uh, you pay a crazy amount of money, but then they're like women only, you know, kind of vibe. So it's only excluded, exclusive for women, and then you can be however you want. But also that's just for that particular city, because I know there are very many touristy places in Egypt, like uh, Sharm el-Sheikh, for example, where you can just be yourself, you know, but it was too far from Alexandria, and we just thought it was kind of too exorbitant for us on our student budgets to go for a holiday there. Finally, I really would like to hear your experience the pyramids do you remember um how that was for you i was more so excited about the pyramids i'm that basic <laughs> the pyramids of giza and just uh I'm, i've always been fascinated with the uh, egyptian history i'm actually looking at like fridge magnets that i collected from egypt <laughs> Uh, we took a train from Alexandra, Alexandria to, to Cairo. It, it was such a beautiful ride. And then we arrived at Cairo. It's 
an extreme sport being in Cairo. Like every just being a pedestrian is such an extreme sport. They don't follow traffic rules. Traffic is unavoidable. You would rather just walk, but then it's so hot outside. So it's that balance in between. They have metros as well, but then like at the metro stations, it's so hot, you know, and we had a nice tour guide, a country member, his name, who took us to, to Giza, which is quite a ride from Cairo. So you ride into the desert and it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And then we arrived there. Uh, some of us want, wanted to ride camels and horses. And I remember as soon as, like when you're driving towards the pyramids, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Those things are massive. They are massive and extraordinary, to be honest. I have never seen massive blocks. And I kept, you know, the question that kept running through my head is, how did they do this? They're just extraordinary and massive. And went into some Maybe I can't remember if it was all or one. They're really cool inside, like cool from the heat. And took shit tons of photos and rode our horses back to the main road. And then as soon as you sit down and it's calm, then I just felt like my face was pulsating. And yep, I had blisters on my face, but it was a beautiful day. I will definitely go back. That's uh, uh, I'm not done. Kenya, Gambia, Dubai, and now Sweden. I look forward to having you again. Thank you so much for all your insights about Egypt and sharing your experience with us here. Thank you, Myra, for having me on your podcast. Thank you. And of course, thank Martin for us because he's he's indirectly been part of this episode yeah i gave him a gag order (laughs) so here are the top tips despite your personal beliefs it's always worth considering other people's cultures and traditions when you are in their environment two new place different language try at the very least to learn your numbers one to ten and three Don't take every marriage proposal seriously. And of course, keep listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to contribute in any way, go ahead and send an email to almostdiaspora at gmail.com.